From the McGrath Institute for Church Life and OSV Podcast, this is Church Life Today. I'm Leonard DiLorenzo. Jessica Mann Kimmett was searching for spiritual resources in the church that would guide her and strengthen her during her early years of motherhood. She was experiencing significant struggles and was confronting unmet expectations. But other than a few scattered blog posts here and there, she really could not find anything that would respond to her need and desire. So several years later, she wrote the book she was looking for, a book where the Word of God is brought close to the experiences of new mothers and to many more of us besides. In her concluding chapter, she writes, Finding my way into motherhood has been a long, convoluted road. Progress through my pain was never as linear as I would have chosen. There were better days and worse days, improvements and relapses. There were moments of hope and energy followed all too quickly by moments of anguish and despair. But God makes all things new. Even me. Even you. God has the power to end all death and mourning and pain, and God promises to do so. In the meantime, God acknowledges our suffering and sits with us in it. Jessica's book is for those times in between, when there is suffering and struggle, and therefore the real need for hope and companionship. The book is called Groaning in Labor, Growing in Hope, Scripture Reflections for the Hard Days of Early Motherhood. As an early reader of this book myself, I can assure you that many other people besides those in early motherhood will benefit from this book, including men, whether single, married, fathers, or even priests. Jess, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. It's great to be here. Jess, you've written a really remarkable book. I really mean that. It is in many ways a book about births, about being born, about new life, and the unexpected, the often unseen struggles that go with it. So I want to begin by asking you about a birth, but in particular, the birth of this book. And I was wondering if you could share with us some of the tensions that led to this particular birth. Sure. So I, uh, the short version is that I had postpartum depression after my second child was born. There's a lot leading up to that, though. When my first was born, I was so excited to get pregnant, eager to be pregnant. I had wanted to get married and start a family for a long time. And um, when I first got pregnant, I was surprised that I wasn't more immediately just joyful mm. and and grateful. There was a lot of kind of bewilderment and um, insecurity about what was going on, which I didn't expect. I thought I was as ready as I could be. And so that sort of started this whole cascade of both physical and emotional pain that persisted probably longer than it should have. Then when that second child was born, I struggled more clearly with diagnosable postpartum depression. So when I got that diagnosis, I started seeing a therapist and doing some, um, taking some medications and things that helped a lot. And um, as I sort of finished the healing, that healing year after that child was born, I started thinking about what I wished I'd had in terms of spiritual support. As someone who has a theology and ministry background, I was sort of surprised to find that there wasn't something out there that would have helped me pray through this time when prayer really drastically changed and I struggled in ways that I hadn't before. And so I started thinking about how we could maybe bring the resources of faith to this particular struggle. 
and started sort of dreaming about writing a book. So that was kind of the end of 2019. I had this whole plan going into 2020, but <laughs> 2020 was an unkind year for people with plans, right? So <laughs> this sat on the back burner for a while and um, eventually kind of got dusted off. I finished it uh, in the same year that I had my third child. Um, that postpartum experience was night and day different, um, was a, a joyful and peaceful one, the one that I'd kind of always wanted. So um, had found a lot of healing in the meantime, um, but hope to, through this book, kind of sit with those who are struggling with postpartum experiences, whether it's diagnosable depression or just kind of the like struggles that are really common to new motherhood, um, whether or not you can get that diagnosis. Mm. Mothers are, of course, the ones who give birth, but you make a really memorable claim here. You say, and I'm quoting you, mothers need to be born too, and the labor is less distinct with blurry edges. This caught my attention early on, right? Because it's in many ways what you're presenting to us is in some ways your birth as a mother. Could you speak about that a little bit, either from your own perspective or how you've learned this about motherhood in general? Sure. Yeah, it's kind of an insight I came to through reading um, the scriptures. I think that chapter is about the the groaning and labor passage from St. Paul that gives the book its title. And it is... Um, something that I just started thinking about, because one thing that I found reassuring over time, this was not an immediate reassurance, is that when we start to be a mom, we're beginners at it. And mm-hmm. motherhood sort of, we expect a lot of ourselves and it's sort of, we want to be perfect at it. We want to do everything right for our children. That perfectionism, I think, contributed to my struggles. And so sort of realizing that this was a process that I was being birthed into a new sort of identity and way of being in the world helped a lot with um, sort of reframing those struggles and seeing, seeing the struggles as another kind of labor pains like this, this, to some extent, these struggles are normal and expectable and um, something that we just have to get through. We can't really get around or shortcut. Mm. Were there important sort of stages or markers for you in this birth process? Like I'm saying your mm-hmm. birth process mm-hmm. as a mother that you can look back at and say, here is a moment where something developed, something changed in mm-hmm. me. Yeah, there were a few um, painful ones and then some that were where the joy sort of started to to creep in finally. And I saw um, God's healing work in my own life there. So some of the painful moments were, I mean, one was just at the very birth. I, I was surprised that I didn't feel more connection throughout the pregnancy, but a lot of people told me that was normal. You hear that actually a lot once you start getting into conversations with moms. But a lot of people were telling me, well, once the child's born, you'll feel this rush of love and it'll be instant and immediate and gratifying and you everything will be worth it. And I did not feel that at my child's birth. I, he was still a total stranger in my arms. And um, it took time to to sort of get to a place of feeling more bonded and connected with him. That could have been postpartum depression talking, but it also seems to be something that as I continue talking with more moms, it's it's not uncommon and it seems to happen a lot. So that was something that I would call kind of a, a pain of that labor and the birthing of myself as a mom was sort of realizing that it wasn't going to happen automatically or instantaneously. And even though there was this great gift that I had received in both my child and in my own motherhood, it uh, it didn't always feel it wasn't always going to feel the way that I thought it should. Um, there were also some moments of of growth and joy as I did get to know that child. Um, I have this really distinct memory of when he was learning to crawl and he was just 
he's wearing these pajamas where you could see his toes were bared and he was just flexing his little feet <laughs> and just, you know, really enthusiastic about um, being able to to master his body and explore the world in some new ways. And it was um, there was a lot of joy in that moment. Kind of I had this moment of relief and being like, OK, this is my heart's not completely broken or not working right. Like there's there's some something happening here and our relationship was building and continues to do so. So yeah, some moments um, like that in the first year. And then even when my second child was born, things like deciding to seek help for this postpartum depression, mm -hmm. that was really, um, I felt like I had to do that because of my relationship with my children. I couldn't sit there and kind of struggle in silence because it was affecting them. And when I started to see that it was affecting them too, that's when I was like, you have to be a grown up. You have to go to therapy. You have to get the help you need so that you can be who these kids need you to be. Mm -hmm. So that was a big one for me um, as someone who was who's very resistant to accepting help of any kind, but especially professional mental health was something that I um, really resisted for a long time. So that was was a, a big, a big moment for me. Mm -hmm. This is Leonard DiLorenzo. You're listening to Church Life Today. And my guest is Jessica Manon Kimmett. She is the author of the new book. Groaning in Labor, Growing in Hope, Scripture Reflections for the Hard Days of Early Motherhood. It is available from Liturgical Press. So you mentioned uh, a few moments ago that as a new mother, you expect a lot of yourself. You say mothers in general, oftentimes, if, as beginners, even still expect a lot of themselves. And I thought you wrote so compellingly about this disconnect between expectations and experience, mm -hmm. right? How... You expect motherhood to go this way. You expect to feel this for your baby, as you said. You expect for things to look and progress in a certain way, and then everything looks and feels quite different. Mm -hmm. What was it like for you to live in these experiences that didn't match up with your expectations? And maybe also, how do you look back at that disconnect now? Yes. Um, I, gosh, living through those, there was so much tension. Um, and I now can look back and see that a lot of growth was happening in that tension and life was still being lived. And um, my children don't seem to be any the worse for, for the struggles that I went through. So um, I'm hoping that that's true. Um, there is some temptation to wonder about it when my my oldest, especially who was you know, a toddler during my worst year there, he, he still kind of has some moments where behavior is a struggle and uh, turns out that's all children. That's not just <laughs> not just mine, but can, I can attest to that. Yes, yes indeed. <laughs> but it's a it's a challenge to me because he's my first, you know, my expectations yeah. have been kind of set by our experience together of that particularly hard year, especially. So, you know, I kind of wonder, like, did I fail to bond with him the way I was supposed to? Is this still, you know, kind of the postpartum depression affecting him and us and how we're relating to each other? I, it might be, but we're working through it because that's how life goes, right? So um, I, I have to just kind of keep moving forward on that. And um, so, yeah, living through those those tensions, I see that there was growth happening and um, just was a, a slow process, slower than I could have realized. But, um, yeah, I expected a lot from myself. And looking back on it now, I also I look at myself with a lot more compassion because mm -hmm. I see how much. I was learning and did learn. And there's all these layers of skills. And I was, I'm the oldest of five and I was an experienced babysitter. So I didn't need to learn the baby care skills like diapering and feeding. You know, I knew yeah. how to do some of this. Um, 
but it just there's so much more to being a, a parent and especially a mother, I think, um, where you're everything about what you're learning. It's not just these surface level skills or tasks. It's kind of turning your whole first your body and then your whole heart inside out to make space for a new person in the world. Mm. And so it uh, it's just really world changing. Um, and I can see that more clearly now and can have a lot more compassion for myself who was not always doing the best at it because she was just figuring it out. So, mm. You know, you don't spend a tremendous amount of time on this, but you do talk a little bit about uh, sort of the images and messages that come from social media mm-hmm. about mothering, which I thought was really important. And even you even brought this into a, a quick consideration of kind of the religious, especially Catholic images that mm-hmm. are out there on Instagram or elsewhere. Um, especially for po- people who haven't had a chance to pick up this book yet. I'm wondering if you can break that open a little bit and share a little bit of the fruits of your reflection of that with sure. us. Cause this came into you, but it's also something that you've just observed in this kind yes. of world and milieu. Yes. So I didn't realize how much at the time, but my expectations for motherhood were very shaped by social media. I was just reflecting on this yet again recently where I, you know, got on Facebook as an 18 year old college student. That's as of this year, that's half my life that I've been mm-hmm. on social media and it's my entire adult life for better, or for worse. And there are a lot of really beautiful things out there that I, when I was a single person, I was out there actively looking for ideas for my future domestic church. And that's how I felt like I was preparing myself for marriage and for motherhood before those realities came into my life. I was out there looking for the cute Catholic Pinterest crafts that we would do on feast days and, you know, the themed dinners on saint days and all that sort of things. Um, And then the reality came and it turns out just keeping a baby alive and keeping a toddler, especially my toddler, like out of traffic was just that's all I had the energy for for those first few years. And so I felt like I was failing. I felt like I was failing to live up to this idea I had of what a Catholic family should look like. I felt like I was failing to pass on the faith already. Um, And so I was pretty harsh with myself because my life did not match those images I had sort of mentally collected and, and built up as an ideal in my head. I now sort of recognize that there was a real danger in that because a lot of what's on social media has some level of marketing. And I find this even with myself as I'm trying to kind of promote a book for the first time. Very quickly, my uh, I have a public Instagram account that suddenly I'm like mentally creating content for all the time and trying to think of, you know, what can I put out there to um, kind of grab people's attention not just to sell the book, which is true, but also because I believe it's good and, and hope that it gets to the people who need it. Right. So I'm already sort of aware of this internal tension for these creators. Um, but for me, it was uh, there, there were some some harmful effects that I didn't sort of see coming in consuming all of this um, earlier on in my younger adulthood and sort of building it up as an ideal. One of the ways you put it that I really thought was tidy and insightful is you said, you know, all of marketing in some ways has to do with communicating the message that you're not whole, W-H-O-L-E, that Mm -hmm. uh, it builds on the feeling, instilling the feeling of lack so that you have to reach out to fill that lack. And so it seems very much like what you're talking about here is presented with images that are saying back to you as a mother, uh, you're not whole, you haven't gotten this yet. There's something, there's something missing, which sort of increases those feelings of anxiety and probably compounds the the feelings of depression as well. Yes, absolutely. Yes. So um, thank you for talking me into where I was trying to get there. (laughs) Um, The 
yes, marketing works by making us feel like we're not complete or or that we are not sufficient until we have bought a product or a service or whatever it is. And that's particularly insidious, I think, when it's these religious things. And let me be clear that I am so glad that there has been a proliferation, even in my seven years of parenting, the amount of cute Catholic products you can buy for your kids has just exponentially multiplied to the point that you cannot buy all of it. There's no way. Um, So because it's religious, there's this like little voice that says, well, you need this for your family's growth and holiness. Uh It's taken a lot of self-discipline and experience and learning to realize that my family's growth and holiness is not dependent on the cute Catholic products that we have or the crafts that I do with them on a feast day or whatever the the particular thing on my social media feed is. Um, you know, my family's growth and holiness is about prayer and participating in the sacraments together. Those are the baseline things. And I tell people that now because I teach the parent preparation class for baptism at my parish these days. And I tell them, just come to mass. Like you're doing your job if you're bringing your kids to mass. And that's the, that's the basis for your family's growth and holiness and um, start there. And then if it's fun and joyful for you, add in other things as you're able. But um, a lot of these liturgical living things, which I love, I'm a crafty person who likes that sort of thing. And I do take joy in it when I have the energy for it, but um, it's not, it's not kind of a requirement or something that everyone's going to find fruitful. Mm. This is Leonard DiLorenzo. You're listening to Church Life Today. I am joined by Jessica Manon-Kimmett, author of the new book, Groaning in Labor, Growing in Hope, Scripture Reflections for the Hard Days of Early Motherhood, available from Liturgical Press. Now, Jess, I think it's very clear you have not written a self-help book. I hope not. You have not. No, what you have given is a book that guides new mothers to finding help in the Word of God, which is not, in fact, almost by definition, not self-help. Right. What was your relationship with scripture like before you became a mother and how did that change in and through motherhood? Yes. So before motherhood, I worked in ministry, primarily in music and liturgy. So I had often had the experience of praying with the scriptures for the upcoming Sunday, sometimes by myself as I was selecting and preparing music, sometimes very often with a community either of uh, a, a community, an intentional community of housemates in a couple of situations, or with um, communities of student leaders that I was responsible for supervising or things like that. So had had a really regular practice of reading scriptures for the upcoming Sunday and um, mostly using the practice of Lexio Divina. So reading the scriptures repeatedly and intentionally listening for God's word, still speaking in those scriptures. So not just looking for kind of this, these static words printed on the page, but hearing God still living and active and speaking into our lived realities. Um, So that was a common practice for me for a long time before motherhood. When I became a mom, I struggled to pray. And for a while, even scripture felt out of reach because any books felt out of reach. Um, Sometimes literally out of reach. Yes. Yes. I was stuck nursing. My first just really was an avid nurser and did not like to be set down ever. So very much stuck in a chair and whatever I could reach was what I had. So um, for a time, I returned to the rosary a lot and just memorized prayers that I found were written more deeply on my heart than I had realized, even though they had kind of fallen out of disuse for me. 
But eventually, I kind of tried to return to the scriptures, tried to return to um, the liturgy of the hours. There's in one chapter in the book, I write about the day that I tried to return to the liturgy of the hours, and it was the feast of St. Mary Magdalene and her story in scripture as told through the antiphons of uh, morning prayer for that day was really powerful for me. Um, So just found that as I slowly tried to return to reading scripture and praying with it, I found that God was still there, but in new ways and in ways that I hadn't heard or realized before. Um, This shouldn't have been a surprise because God is always bigger than I am imagining, but God was, of course, able to see my suffering and also offer joy through it and um, kind of walk with me as a companion through that and through the scriptures. And in some ways, the book is almost a a testament or a record of that growing relationship with Mm -hmm. scripture. You're offering us as readers reflections on these particular passages, speaking primarily into the experience of early motherhood and the struggles there and allowing from your own encounter with the word of God there a sort of uh, sort of broader opening for people to enter in and find God there in this precise predicament of mm-hmm. sort of confusion and challenge and unmet expectations. Yes. And, and yes. Like that. Yeah. Yeah. These particular scripture passages that you ended up bringing forth in the book, a dozen or so, mm-hmm. um, were these ones that sort of just suggested themselves to you? Or do you have to go looking for them? Where'd they come from? Most of them did suggest themselves to me. At Well, I, about half of them suggested themselves to me. The other half, I actually had an earlier concept for this book where it wasn't going to be all scripture reflections. It was going to offer various forms of prayer to new moms and consider how they might apply. There's sort of a vestige of that in the appendixes that are still a litany of saints for mm-hmm. postpartum struggles. Um, and some of these chapters actually started as considering another prayer practice. And then I kind of went looking for scriptures that would invite us into that prayer practice. So that's particularly true in part three of the book where we talk about things like praying with our breath and praying with our bodies. I kind of went out to find um, those scripture passage, which passages, which is not usually how I recommend reading scripture. Finding things to fit an agenda yeah. isn't probably isn't the best. But um, I did find that things started clicking and flowing a little better when I had sort of settled on this scripture-based outline for the book. So um, that's sort of uh, how how I found them. Some of them, some of them presented themselves to me um, through the liturgy of the hours or just praying with the church's rhythms. And then others I sought out a little bit more intentionally, but eventually they made sense, I mm. think. So you know, right at the end of the book, you had a line where I thought you just so precisely named what Christian hope in this world is for, including in motherhood. You write, I'm quoting you here, the hope here is not to never struggle or suffer, at least not in this life. It is to be able to respond to the struggles from a place of trust. And it reminded me earlier in one of your scripture reflections, you talked about how your heart was being made new, becoming, as you put it, a heart that bounces back. So not a replacement of the heart, but a, a sort of strengthening and a, a greater sort of resilience to the heart, a, a, almost an elasticity to your heart that it mm-hmm. would bounce back. And I was just struck over and over again by how incarnational, I, I suppose, like how fleshy and real this spiritual renewal that you're talking about is. It it just caught me as anything but spiritual escapism, mm-hmm. put it that way. I wonder if you could talk about that, about the true humanity of this all. It's deeply spiritual and 
deeply human, mm -hmm. fleshy at the same yes. time. Yeah, I think that's something that being a mom taught me because it is a very physical experience, um, especially for those of us moms who gave birth to our children and carried them through pregnancy. And um, some, not all mothers are able to do this, but um, breastfeeding as well kind of is this continued thing where you are just physically attached to this other person in a way that doesn't happen with any other relationship. And you're also sort of dependent on your body. Motherhood also exposed a lot of my needs, things that I was able to ignore, even just basic needs like as a college student, I don't recommend this. This was dumb, but I would skip meals when I got busy. And now as a mom, if I skip meals, I get cranky and I can't do it. And and so some returning to some of these really basic human needs has been forced by the physical needs of, of motherhood. Um, I'm often surprised at how physical it is, even beyond the pregnancy and birth and breastfeeding. Um, my I have three boys and they are physical beings who like to wrestle and who crawl into our beds at night. And there's, there's still a lot of giving over my body to their needs in ways that have been sort of surprising and ongoing in ways that I didn't expect. They also kind of like beat me up. My four-year-old like rolled, was having a nightmare the other <laughs> night and rolled over and punched me straight in the eye. Oh gosh. And like, I like saw stars and also woke up to like, this is what woke me up. And I was very surprised about the whole thing. And nauseous and um, a friend suggested you might have had a concussion if you saw stars and oh, were feeling no. nauseous right yes. after. So these children are, um, you know, sort of reminding me of my physical body very often. And um, I think that it was, it, it has been sort of a struggle to invite God into that, even though I'm someone who has long professed the goodness of our bodies and that we're, you know, our bodies aren't really separate from our spirits. We are, we're a union of body and spirit. Um, kind of inviting the spiritual life and seeing God present in all of this has been a learning curve and something that I've had to sort of figure out as I go. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, one of the the chapters where you speak about that bodiliness just so memorably was in your chapter on Psalm 139, mm -hmm. which we were talking about a little bit before we got started today. This is the psalm that many people remember. It crescendos with that acclamation to God. I praise you because I am wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, O Lord. What you did here that I don't think I've ever seen before, and this is a, a psalm that gets commented on over and over again in all kinds of spiritual works, is you applied that psalm very deliberately, directly to your own body. Mm -hmm. Again, it's very, very real here and now, very direct. Could you, would you mind just reading maybe a passage from that so people have a, a sense of what you're doing there, and then maybe we can talk about it a little bit. Sure, yeah. So Psalm 139 notes that darkness cannot hide us from God, which reminds me of my abdomen, marked now by the scar tissue that developed from the deep stretch of pregnancy. This skin shelters a host of hidden, quiet organs that reside in darkness and provide me with nourishment and immunity. When my own life feels hidden and unappreciated, I might remember that God, too, gave his life over for his beloved children. What have you allowed this psalm to become for you? Yeah, this it is a psalm that I have loved praying with for a very long time. It was really meaningful to me in the sort of painful waiting of my single years and knowing that God was with me and saw me. And so reapplying it to my motherhood and to my body, which changed drastically with pregnancy and birth and postpartum 
lifetimes and um, doesn't, you know, doesn't always feel like mine anymore. And when you've given your body over to nourishing another, it, it changes the relationship with it in ways that are profound and beautiful and also really painful. So um, I found this was one of those scripture passages that I went and sought out for the book to apply to something that I kind of wanted to invite moms into, which was inviting God into your awareness of your body. And I was sort of surprised, actually, when I started writing this chapter at how nicely the verses lined up with different parts of my body. So I would think about, uh, I was, you know, wanted to do kind of a head to toe uh, bringing awareness to our body. And uh, I've found that that psalm actually contained some things that were suggestive of many of the the parts of the body that I wanted to address. So that was one where um, I kind of found God waiting for me in it um, when I sort of mm. reapproached this psalm with an eye toward um, wanting to to reflect on God's making our body and being present with us and um, was really sort of surprised and delighted with how the Holy Spirit was at work in inviting me to reconsider my own body and um, be at peace with it, hopefully, mm. again. So, No, I thought it was a, a, almost an exercise in being clothed in the word, mm-hmm. word of God. And, you know, at the beginning of the chapter, you do such a fine job of saying to your reader, uh, you may have to amend this and change this as you go along, mm-hmm. right? Because my body you know, your body you're saying is not, is not the same as yours. Yes. Um, And as a man reading this book, you know, clearly what you were saying about the parts of the body wouldn't apply completely Mm -hmm. in all stages to me, but it nevertheless was both an example and an invitation to allow that word of God to address me, to clothe me, Mm -hmm. to actually re-present my body to myself as a gift made as it is now, not as it, not just as it was or as mm-hmm. it will be, but as it is now. Yes. Yeah. Which brings me to maybe the, one of the last things I wanted to talk about, um, which is actually me as a reader of your book. So I read this book as your friend and as somebody who was going to interview you. Right. But also, obviously, I read this as a man, mm-hmm. as a husband, as a father. And I found this book, I think, surprising to me, really important Mm. for me, Mm -hmm. you know, not just something I was reading about to learn, you know, to talk about, but actually as a spiritual reading for me. On the one hand, I suppose, to get to know you better Mm -hmm. as a friend, to give me a better and a deeper understanding of my own wife Mm -hmm. and her motherhood. I mean, I was I've been close to her for 20 years now and Mm -hmm. as a mother for almost 18, but a different way of understanding and appreciating um, and I think an appreciation and awe at motherhood um, even more broadly. Mm-hmm. So I know your intended audience here is mothers and especially mothers in those early days of motherhood, uh, especially those who are going through difficult times. But I wonder if you've given any thought to what your book might mean for men. Sure. Um, well, thank you for saying that. That's very kind of you. And I have been surprised already at some uh, groups of people who have expressed appreciation for the book uh, beyond like young moms. I was very wary. I'm only seven years into parenting, so I didn't feel like I had a lot of advice to offer um, beyond maybe those first couple years, but I'm still very much in the trenches of figuring it out. But I've had some more experienced mom friends tell me that this has been really valuable for them, even moms who are well past the the baby and toddler stage that I'm kind of writing about here. Um some men, my husband and now you, have have told me that they've appreciated as appreciated it as well, and I do hope that it's something that 
people will read, even if they don't, even if they're not moms or even if they're not young moms, I think that it is something that can can hopefully open our hearts to some of the unseen struggles of people that we're side by side with all the time and um, can also just invite and exemplify kind of how to read scriptures and invite God into whatever the realities are of our own life. Mm-hmm. I also have a sort of sneaky secret hope for this book, which is that preachers will read it because uh-huh. as I note in the introduction, I heard at least one homily that was kind of disheartening when I was very new to parenting. And um, in a church where we don't usually hear women preach, I, I hope that preachers might read this and sort of see some of the ways that scripture is speaking into this very specifically female experience um, and what that might mean for the people they're preaching to from week to week. Absolutely. You know, one of your reviewers, our friend Stacy Nome, she said, it will definitely be this book. It will definitely be my go-to gift for, quote, newborn moms, mm-hmm. as you were speaking about moms too need to be born. Thinking of that, I think this will be one of my go-to gifts also for newborn dads mm-hmm. and uh, for preachers, newborn and otherwise, right. as yeah. you say. There's, right. a, there's a wide audience link for this book. Well, Jess, this has been such a fruitful conversation and such Truly, truly a remarkable book. Thank you so very much. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me and for taking the time to to read it and to be here today. Friends, again, this has been my guest, Jessica Manon Kimmett. Her book, Groaning in Labor, Growing in Hope, Scripture Reflections for the Hard Days of Early Motherhood. It is available now from Liturgical Press. Thanks as always to all of you for joining us on Church Life Today. This has been a production of OSV Podcasts. To learn more, visit osvpodcasts.com.